0: The man alleged to be at the top of the Sinaloa drug cartel, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, is currently on trial in Brooklyn, New York, accused of running a massive drug smuggling operation. While the vast majority of those drugs are winding up on the streets in the United States, a good chunk of that is coming into Canada. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Today we look at what was being smuggled into Canada, how far into the country this operation reached, and we look at the men authorities allege were his connections here. Before we get to our talk on El Chapo, I want to thank all of you who have been supporting this podcast so far. If you like the show, consider subscribing at Apple Podcasts, and if you really think we're doing a good job bringing you interesting Canadian stories, please leave us a review and even a comment. We'd love to know what you think.
1: I suppose El Chapo could safely be described as the biggest narco in the world definitely since colombia's pablo escobar who met his demise in 1993 in, in in terms of the scale of operation and the monetary proceeds involved Achapo has kind of usurped escobar's legend as the world's biggest narco basically that's who he is
0: Brian Fitzpatrick is a reporter with the National Post who's been covering El Chapo and the Sinaloa cartel and the connections to Canada.
1: In terms of what he's on trial for, before he was extradited to uh, the U.S. from Mexico in January 2017, uh, he had a number of outstanding uh, indictments across various U.S. districts. The one that he's on trial for, uh, which has been the subject of much debate about you know, why they picked this this jurisdiction, was a 17 count indictment in the Eastern District of New York. And and this indictment includes, you know, multiple, multiple uh, counts of conspiracy to murder and drug trafficking on a biblical scale and 14 billion worth of ill-gained assets. Basically, you're looking at the person responsible for bringing the majority of the cocaine, heroin, uh, methamphetamine, and to a lesser degree, marijuana that's to be found in North America. His cartel was the dominant cartel that pushed the biggest amount of drugs north uh, from Latin America.
0: Just how entrenched are the cartel's operations in Canada?
1: thing that we've discovered from the El Chapo trial is is kind of the, the, the inner workings of of how his operation worked in Canada. I mean, it would have been a no-brainer to... For him to have been involved in this country quite heavily but the thing that the the trial has has kind of shown us is is kind of the 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 exact details of kind of how they operated things and most of that revealing testimony has come from his former right hand man alex ifuentes villa so i mean obviously from a a financial standpoint for the sinaloa cartel canada would make a you know, a whole lot of, of economic sense. Uh, I mean, in fact, you could kind of argue it'd be, it'd be more ridiculous if, if they weren't uh, involved in a major operation here. Um, the reason being is a, a kilo of, of cocaine, say, just to use one of the drugs that they were smuggling, you can source that in, in Colombia for a couple of thousand. By the time, you know, that reaches Central America, somewhere along those lines, it, it's jumped by a few more thousand. And it keeps going up and up and up as you uh, work that through Mexico. By the time it reaches the US, it's worth, you know, 30,000 to the mid 30,000 in US dollars. And then when it gets to Canada, it's worth more again. So it's obvious uh, that, you know, El Chapo had it in mind to, you know, maximize revenues out of Canada to uh, the highest degree possible. So it, it was, you know, a no brainer for their operation. In this case, the cocaine that El Chapo was sourcing, most of it is produced in Colombia and then mm-hmm. a lot of it is transited out of Colombia via the border region with Ecuador there and and kind of yep. moved north there. It would it would go towards what they would call friendly ports that the Sinaloa cartel operated um along the western coast of Mexico. They would, you know, you know, deposit it to safe houses within Mexico and then from there start pushing it north into the US.
0: What else is it that they're smuggling up here? You mentioned cocaine. I assume there's probably marijuana being moved up. Even with uh, cannabis legalization in Canada, there still is a black market here. Uh, methamphetamines and heroin is is that kind of the bulk of what they're uh, moving to Canada?
1: Yeah, that would be it. It would be cocaine, heroin, uh, marijuana to a lesser degree now. Obviously, since legalization and methamphetamine. Um, I suppose the misconception that many people have is is you know where. A lot of this stuff originates, as I said, the, the cocaine would primarily originate in in Colombia. About 90% of the uh, of the cocaine, according to U.S. figures, that ends up in North America uh, comes from Colombia. Uh, the heroin and marijuana, those would actually be primarily manufactured in in Mexico itself. Uh, you know, the Sinaloa cartel. They've, they've. It's been said about them before that they operate you know, a heroin production area just vast in size. I think somebody threw out the, the 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 figure that it was as big as Costa Rica itself. So uh yeah a lot of that is is manufactured in Mexico um and then kind of sent north from there in terms of how they'd smuggle it. Every sort of, of uh you know weird and wacky kind of way has come out at the trial, stuffing it into jalapeno cans, getting it across the border via tunnels. Uh, fake bananas in hidden compartments and rail, uh, railway cars um, pushing it across the U.S. I mean, every sort of imaginable, you know, stunt, the, they were well on top of it.
0: Now, when, it, when these drugs are arriving in Canada, is it that the Sinaloa cartel has its own network of people by which the drugs are getting moved to um, distributors and street level dealers here, or is essentially they are selling wholesale quantities of drugs to organized criminal groups in Canada, uh, names that people may be familiar with, such as um, uh, the Hells Angels or uh, Italian Mafia in Quebec or other groups like that. Who is it or how is it that it's getting to street level purchasers here?
1: Yeah, and and again, that's one of the more revealing things that's come out in the past few weeks, um, especially on the the Canada side. Um, As I said, a lot of of the ins and outs of of how the Canadian operation was run came via this Alex Sifuentes Villa, who's El Chapo's, one of his henchmen, who's from a notorious uh, Colombian crime family. Basically, the way Alex explained it is that they would have a few Canadian point men, um, that Alex would be in charge of coordinating deliveries and drop-offs with them. Um, once basically anything got north of, of New York, Alex said that he was in charge of ensuring that the product got into the hands of you know, the people in Canada that he trusted to ensure that this was distributed. And then Alex was also in charge of making sure that the cash from each uh, delivery um, was also put back into the Sinaloa cartel's hands and, and kind of sent back to Mexico or else sent further again back to Colombia to send more drugs drugs north. So it looks like they had a network of key point people in Canada that, that, that were doing that for them. I mean, it's been said for, 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 a, for a long time that obviously they were operating with major gangs in Canada like the Hells Angels and probably uh, other lower level street gangs you know and a lot of whom may not even know exactly where their product has originated by the time they're they're sending it across canada but uh, yeah i mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: alex seems to have outlined a pattern whereby they had a few key men there was three well there was two canadians in particular that he named um on the stand last week one of them was tony suzuki who's a, a kind of a well known montreal mafia operative um and Alex said that he had set up long-running cocaine, heroin, and crystal meth shipments with uh, Tony Suzuki, and the other person he named was uh, Stephen Tello, uh, who's known for um, being caught up in, in in a major RCMP sting here in 2015. Then there's one other individual, uh, Mikhailo Koretsky, who uh, hasn't come up in court yet at the El Chapo trial, but he is actually indicted separately. Um, With Guzman and Alex and Stephen Tello and Koretsky is currently jailed in Curaçao awaiting extradition to the US. So it was, yeah, it it does seem like the Sinaloa cartel, they, they had a few key point people in Canada who they dealt with, you know.
0: After the break, we take a closer look at Stephen Tello, one of the Canadians US authorities allege was running drugs for the Sinaloa cartel in Canada. We're approaching the best part of the NHL season. Coming out of the All-Star break, there will be a ton of trade talk as teams load up to make a push to the playoffs. And we all know that hockey fans will be keeping an eye on the wildcard race, not to mention which coaches or GMs could get bounced from their jobs early. With so much going on in the NHL, you want a little more news and a deeper look at the playoff picture. We've got it with the Off the Post Podcast. Our team of hockey experts joins host Paul Chapman for a deep dive on the big issues in the NHL. Check it out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. How did Stephen Tello wind up in prison in Canada?
1: Uh, it's a very interesting question, and kind of the more you look at at that case in itself, as completely aside from the El Chapel trial, it's fascinating. Tello and 14 others, they they were arrested um, in mid-2015 in a a two-year undercover probe basically by the RCMP in Nova Scotia called Operation Harrington. It was looking at drug smuggling from Latin America basically uh, up along the eastern um, seaboard of uh, America and up into Canada. Basically, Tello was charged with Two counts of trafficking cocaine, uh, one count of conspiring to import cocaine and then another one to do with uh, the proceeds of crime. Uh, the conspiracy that he was actually involved in, although there was no um, outright Sinaloa Cartel mentioned at that stage, rather they just described it as you know Latin American drug cartels, but the conspiracy that he was caught up in involved moving uh, cocaine from Guyana uh, up to the east coast of Canada. Um, RCMP officers themselves actually travelled to the Caribbean to meet with would-be Guyanese uh, suppliers. So it was it was a pretty serious uh, undercover sting that he was caught up in, and he ended up getting he he backed out of the of the actual deal at the last minute. It looks like he he might have smelled a rat, but he actually ended up. Getting 15 years in prison, uh, less time served, which ended up being 11 years and eight months. So even though he had not gone ahead with it at the at at the last minute, all of the evidence uh, to convict him was already in place. The RCMP had a range of uh, BlackBerry messages that they had swapped with his group, Um, and and you know they 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 kind of they had a fair few of these individuals uh, banked rights with the evidence that they already had gained by that point.
0: Sounds like a pretty big investigation and netted some major arrests, as you said, but there also has been a trail of bodies in the wake of the investigation. Who wound up dead in the aftermath of Operation Harrington?
1: One of the key things, uh, as you look through the court filings, one of the key things was the RCMP were extremely concerned about officer safety um, because obviously the lengths that the, the, the officers had gone to you know, travel to the Caribbean, undercover, deal with these guys on on encrypted blackberries for a long time. When RCMP, during the preliminary inquiry for um, the Harrington cases, they were making the case as to why the officer's identities should be completely concealed. Um, They kind of outlined a a path of destruction that had followed the Harrington suspects. um, And a lot of them ended up being linked back to Tello basically, there was an individual called John Meshgadi. He, he was one of the first uh, Harrington targets, but he never ended up being charged at all because he was shot dead in in White Rock, in B.C. in August 2014. He was, according to court documents, the person who first connected Tello to the undercover RCMP men. So by the time hmm. you know he was he was due to be charged, um, you know he he was he was actually killed. The other person uh, killed as the Harrington probe was going on was a fella called Andy Huang and he was killed in Alberta in January 2015 and police thought that he was actually one of the people who was providing Tello with uh funds to to source uh the cocaine that was involved in in the conspiracy that he was actually convicted for subsequently it emerged uh, after long after the Harrington um Convictions and jailings. Another individual, Felipe Oscalaros, he was killed in Montreal uh, just last November, and he'd actually just finished serving a Harrington sentence. So, you know, real RCMP concerns about officer safety. And, and it's it's kind of easy to see why when you see the, the laundry list of people who kind of didn't didn't last too long once they were kind of caught up in this network, you know.
0: After you published your first story about Tello and his connection to the Sinaloa cartel, um, his name cropped up in the trial for Joaquin Guzman in Brooklyn. What was said in court about him by Cifuentes uh, Villa?
1: Yeah, it was kind of lost amid the uh, international outrage. Basically, when Alex Cifuentes Villa took the stand, one of the first things he he came out with was the fact that, you know, he made this sensational allegation that the former president of Mexico had taken a 100 million bribe from the Sinaloa cartel um, in October 2012. Obviously, the, the former president flat out denies that. I mean, there's been a lot of sensational allegations by these former narcos and exactly how much is is, is true or false, you have to take a lot of it with a pinch of salt. But in, in, in between all of this hoopla about the bribes, um, Alex divulged a really, you know, Substantial set, set of info with regard to Canada. He said, in, he, "He was asked about connections in Canada, and, and he, he said that you know he outlined the Tony Suzuki connection to the Montreal mafia, and then he said that Stephen Tello had been uh, his his worker in 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 Canada basically, and he said that Stephen Tello had travelled to meet with the Sinaloa cartel at various resorts in Mexico, and even." In Culiacan, which would have been Al Chapo's uh, stronghold, so definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, traveling down there, but that's what Alex said that Tello did. So that was that was kind of the first time that Tello's name actually came up at the trial.
0: So there was even a, um, a murder plot involving Tello, not that he was involved in, but surrounding him and and the possibility that that the people he was working with may have had uh, nefarious designs on him.
1: Yes, that's the the major eye-popping thing that, that emerged from Alex's testimony was the fact that things looked like they were going fine at the start in in this relationship between the Canadians and El Chapo, but at a certain point El Chapo seems to have come to the conclusion that Stephen Tello was stealing from him. Uh, this was around January twenty thirteen, according to the official court transcripts. At that point he you know, turned to uh, to Alex, who was his right-hand man. Alex comes from the a, a Sifuentesville organization, so he'd be no stranger to to murder and death. But basically, he tasked Alex with killing Stephen Tello. Um, at the same time, he tasked Alex with killing uh, a secretary um, who had worked for El Chapo simply because she had failed to bribe a military general whom she knew. When she came back with the bad news uh, that the general wouldn't take the bribe, El Chapo wanted her dead. So now Alex was left with with two murders that El Chapo wanted him to get carried out. And he was he said he tried at the start to convince Steven Tello to come to Mexico so he could kill him there. But Steven Tello wouldn't take the bait. And the plan B he came up with was that he would get his own wife, Alex's wife, to find someone to killed Stephen tello in canada then he went on to say that he was in the process of setting up meetings with the hell's angels hmm. uh, to get this done um but as things would transpire luckily for Stephen tello whether he knew about it or not the, the murder never happened the double murder never happened basically because later in 2013 alex himself was captured um in sinaloa uh, el chapo was captured a few months after that for his second to last time um and Stephen tello himself was uh, caught up in the operation harrington raids in, Can- in canada um in 2015 so you know it could nearly be said that going to jail was the the luckiest thing that ever happened to Tello. uh bizarre and he, all of that dodged sounds. a bullet yeah well that's if you're to believe uh, alex's testimony it, it seems that way yeah
0: so what do we know about Alex Cifuentes Villa? You say he was El Chapo's kind of right hand and he and he managed these workers in Canada, guys like Tello and and Tony Suzuki. What do we know about Cifuentes Villa?
1: Yeah, he described himself as El Chapo's right-hand man and his left-hand man. He said he first went to work with him in late 2007, basically for security reasons and for business reasons. He said the the security reasons um uh were basically the fact that he he was going there as security for Colombian dealings that El Chapo was doing with his family in other words he was there as a kind of a guarantor that if anything might go astray in Colombia that he was he was in the mountains with El Chapo as as collateral not a not a place uh, many of us would want to be his kind of relationship mm. <laughs> took off from there it seems and, and eventually he just said that El Chapo let him you know do with Canada um, as 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 he saw fit. So he, under cross-examination from Jeffrey Lickman, who was defending El Chapo, he kind of went into the fact that he had numerous fake bank accounts, fake credit cards, fake identities. Uh, he said at one point that he traveled to Canada um, and that the secretary who was working for him at the time, she was also back and forth to Toronto and that he was meeting the Canadians in Mexico and translating for el chapo at these meetings so he was really the point Hmm. man with these key people in canada all the while it looks like trying to make sure that nothing went wrong further south in colombia and that he wouldn't end up uh with, with his own neck on the block basically he said at a few points he said that he was trying to leave now whether you can believe that or not is another thing but he was saying that he would float the idea of you know him trying to get out of there and uh el chapo would always just you know shoot the suggestion down his brother Jorge Milton also has turned against El Chapo and has given testimony, and he himself came to visit these mountain hideouts. Their family as a whole, they're, I suppose, a morbidly fascinating family, you could say, but they made their fortune by kind of navigating the Colombian underworld during the time of Pablo Escobar. One brother, Francisco, was a pilot for Escobar. Uh, He was murdered in 2007, but their MO, basically, the Sifuentes Villa organization, was... Drug trafficking under the under the cover of legitimate business, so whether that be uh, exports or, or agricultural machinery or, or whatever, but they they managed to find themselves a niche whereby they never ended up in, in absolute all-out war with with um, a lot of the groups they were dealing with, and they kind of managed to work with with a, you know a lot of groups at the same time. It seems the main one hmm. being the Norte del Valle cartel, which would be a successor group to the Cali cartel of the 90s. Um, so yeah, some pretty, pretty high ranking, um, players involved, but somehow they, they managed to, to navigate it. Their empire then started to crumble, um, in recent years. Dolly, another sister, she's been, been caught. Orgy Milton has been caught. Alex has been caught. As I said, the other brother is, is dead. Um, but no, they, they, up to that point, they had been kind of the, you know, supreme diplomats, I suppose, in terms of how they managed to pull this off, but they, but they did.
0: Now, he brings a, a wealth of underworld experience to the Sinaloa cartel and working with El Chapo. Um he in some ways was hands-on and in, involved with how drugs were smuggled into Canada, as you reported. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, he he was um, you know, he was putting them in touch with his Canadian contacts. I mean, this isn't to say that Canadian contacts didn't exist before Alex came on the scene. I'm sure there was another canadian gopher before before him but yeah once Mm -hmm. he had his own network in place he was tasked with kind of you know dreaming up some of the the schemes that uh that they would try to uh to pull off to get to get drugs into canada from the u.s
0: and what kind of what kind of schemes did he have in mind
1: he said the Cocaine that they were dealing with and and other drugs once they would get it into the u s uh from Mexico and point south uh, they would put it primarily into Vancouver uh by way of you know commercial trucks uh vehicles across the border but but he also said they moved it by uh by ocean by the Pacific he said and then he said something that caught a lot of people unawares was that they used a lot of helicopters as well so yeah those were the four you know, primary methods that he said. But then he also kind of dropped this other bombshell that they were looking to run cocaine from the US into Canada by using a border lake. He described it as Lake Vermont, but if you're looking at the geography of the area, it looks like he was talking about Lake Champlain. And basically the Hmm. plan was that they would rent houses on either side of the lake, each one with a each one with a, a boat dock. So they could put cocaine on one side, run it across, and then run the cash proceeds back into the U.S. once the uh, the drugs were safely deposited in, in Canada. At one stage in court, Alex was played a tape um, that allegedly was El Chapo and another contact, Proceso was this gentleman's name, and they talked about, uh, to use their own quote, finding ranches on the U.S. side uh, in an area that's isolated. You know, so it was almost, you know, so boring. Uh, that it just made perfect sense and uh you know it it wasn't kind of divulged whether this actually came to fruition but it just it was just another kind of insight into how they were thinking and kind of the variety of of, of ideas they were dreaming up you know
0: it's a it's a fascinating story lots of uh threads to pull there uh, brian thanks for your time
1: no problem thanks for having me
0: Ten Three 3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest, Brian Fitzpatrick. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.